Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the sermon series entitled, Faith is a Victory, with Part 6. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you reached down from on high and took hold of us. You drew me out of deep waters. You rescued us from our powerful enemy, from our foes who were too strong for us. You are our God, the mighty one. You are the rock. You are our anchor and you are our foundation. Therefore, we shall never sink. We shall not be destroyed. You have saved us and you are saving us and you will save us on the last day. Help us therefore, O Lord, to persevere in our faith, in our confidence in you. May nothing destroy our faith. Help us today, O Lord, to deal with enemies of faith, certain evil heart attitudes like bitterness. Oh God, help us today to deal with bitterness. Set your people free from the clutches of bitterness. Help us to be a people who rejoice greatly in our great salvation. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are speaking about faith, saving faith. And also we are dealing with certain evil heart attitudes that attack the vitals of our faith. And so we are to oppose all evil that attempt to destroy our faith. The late Barnhouse gave this illustration concerning faith. A traveler was attempting to cross a wide river covered with ice in the dead of winter. He did not know the strength of the ice and got down on all fours to crawl, thinking that by distributing his weight, the ice would be more likely to support him. After more than half an hour, he heard a noise behind him and saw a farmer with four mules attached to a wagon driving across the ice. There are many Christians who are afraid to trust themselves to God, thinking it dangerous to surrender to his will. But no soul has been lost by God. He is able to keep those who trust him fully and find him fully true. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath us is God, the solid rock. We have entrusted our life to him to keep it now and forevermore. And he is able. He is able to keep that which we have entrusted to him. So we have been considering, as I said, certain sinful heart attitudes that try to destroy our faith in God. 
And today we deal with bitterness. It is true Christians can become bitter. It is not a fruit of the spirit. It is a work of the flesh. Bitterness. That word speaks about sharpness like a thorn. Speaks about bitter taste in the mouth. It speaks about poison. It speaks about resentment toward others. Bitter people are self-focused, self-centered people. And they come to the church and, and they judge everybody based on how that person is treated. Bitterness exists in our hearts when we harbor a grudge or an unforgiving spirit against another for a wrong, real or imaginary, and generally imaginary, done to us. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed to his master 10,000 talents. In those days, one talent was earned by working, a laborer working for 15 years. So the servant owed an amount which could be earned only by working for 150,000 years. The servant could not repay this amount. The master was trying to recover some of his debt by selling him and his wife and children as slaves. But we are told that the servant fell on his knees, begged the master for mercy and forgiveness. Moved by compassion, the master forgave all his immense debt. He canceled it all. The servant then went out to collect the debt of hundred denarii owed to him by another servant. And the debt, of course, was equal to the wages of 100 days labor. The servant did not have the money to pay immediately. So he fell on his knees and begged for mercy and forgiveness. But the servant whose immense debt was just forgiven, refused to forgive this small debt. Instead, he threw him into the debtor's prison. We are told that the master heard this evil act of this wicked and ungrateful servant and withdrew his forgiveness. He said to him, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I showed mercy to you. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which is a description of God sending you to eternal hell. Then Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father treats each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Bitterness conceals an unforgiving spirit which is nothing but wickedness. The unforgiving person is not a truly forgiven person. 
he is not a child of God. Jesus taught, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, you forgive your debtors, forgive the sins of others, then you come and pray. God demands that those who worship him should live in peace and reconciliation. God rejects. He refuses to accept the worship of people who refuse to be reconciled, but stubbornly remain bitter toward the people of God. So let us look at certain passages in the scripture that tells us about living in peace and not in bitterness. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. That is, you come to church and the Holy Spirit causes you to remember that you, you sinned against somebody. And you are coming to worship and God says, don't do it. Because I will not accept your worship. Because God gives priority to reconciliation. Reconciliation first, worship second. And so leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. When a brother comes to worship. And he remembers how he sinned against a brother. And therefore he is not at peace with him. And so with the congregation. He should not worship. He must first go and be reconciled to his brother. By confessing his sins. And asking forgiveness and making restitution when required. Only then God permits such a person to come and worship acceptably. Or turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 11. Here again it is a worship situation. Mark 11 and verse 25. The temple is the house of prayer. And people are coming to pray. And verse 25. And when you stand praying. If you hold anything against. That's what bitterness is. If you hold anything against anyone. Forgive him. So that your father in heaven may forgive. Your sins. So that your prayer. May be acceptable. Your worship may be acceptable. That, that you may receive that. Priestly blessing. The Lord bless you. Reconciliation is first. Worship second. Let's turn to Matthew 18. How God is serious about peace in the family. Peace in the church. Unity and peace. How he is opposed to bitterness in the family and in the church. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So here the situation is, the individual in view is the person sinned against by another. He is the offended party. But if the offending brother... The person who sinned against him 
is not taking initiative to make reconciliation, then it is the duty of the offended brother to go and be reconciled to the brother who sinned against him. So whether it is the offending brother or offended brother, both are under divine order of dealing with offense, bitterness, so that there can be peace and harmony that God may bless the worship. To live in bitterness is to give place to the devil. Reconciliation should take place before the sun goes down. And my interpretation of that is before the daily evening worship. And if the brother repents, he is to be forgiven instantly. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 17, 3 through 5. So watch yourselves that you wouldn't be a stumbling block. Watch yourselves that you will not offend anybody. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. So he tells us it's our responsibility to rebuke when a brother sins against you. And it is his responsibility to repent and ask forgiveness. And it's your responsibility to forgive him instantly so that peace may prevail, unity may reign in the church of Jesus Christ, that worship may be acceptable to God and people may be blessed. Seven times in a day. And he comes each time. Say, I sinned. Forgive me. And you ought to forgive him. Seven times means forgive your brother without any limitation. If I need forgiveness daily from God and others without limit, I must gladly forgive others who sins against me without putting any limit to forgiveness. One of my professors told me a story of a wife who came to him for marriage counseling. She was arguing and fighting all the time. She finally threw a book on his desk to show the utter reasonableness of her quarreling with her husband. In the pages of the book, she had meticulously recorded every infraction and sin her husband had committed against her for 13 years. She never forgave him any sin. There are people who refuse to forgive others even on their deathbed. They are bitter people who know nothing experimentally about God's forgiveness of our infinite sin. I dare say they know nothing about the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says love does not keep a record of wrongs. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Bitter people are sharp like a thorn. They walk about with a chip on their shoulders. They are self-centered 
those who associate with them get wounded by the thorn. They are always sour. So what do we do? Let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. Let me read to you from verse 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Let me tell you a secret. People offend us daily. And we offend people daily. People sin against us. People persecute us. They speak evil of us without reason. And then we tend to become bitter. And want to retaliate. But this text tells us, don't do it. Vengeance is not our business. It is God's prerogative. Do not repay evil for evil. So what is our duty? Our duty is to do what is right. And what is right? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. We are to leave room for God's wrath. We are to love our enemy. We are to overcome evil by good. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. There is an interesting injunction for the covenant people. 4 and 5 of Exodus 23. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off. I have said it uh, growing up, wandering off. And we'll go and, and take them to the owner. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. Overcome evil by good. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Well, that's not what we naturally want to do. We want to rejoice when our enemies are in trouble. And we grieve when our enemies are successful. That's the way we are. Turn with me to book of Ephesians chapter 4. 26 and 27 and verse 31. In your anger do not sin. Let me tell you, anger is not sin. I was reading Professor Adams. He says that people will say, don't punish children in your anger. Well, anger is not sin. But losing temper is Anger is a good emotion. And everyone who is a leader, there's a quality about that person. He doesn't smile all the time. There are times his face is different. So in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. While you are still bitter. Some problem came about in the home. Or with people in the church. Oh, pay attention to this command. Deal with it quickly. Take care of it. Do not nourish and nurse a bitter spirit. 
deal with it instantly, quickly. If not, you are giving place to the devil. Verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. He likes you to be bitter. Then he can control you. He comes, let me tell you, to steal, kill, and destroy. And verse 31, what do you do with bitterness? Get rid of all bitterness. What do you do with decaying garbage? Get rid of it. You consider bitterness as dung, as garbage. Flash it. Get rid of it instantly. Don't keep it there. It will stink up the whole community, the whole family. Mess up your marriage. Mess up your family. Get rid of it in God's proper way. And be get rid of it by the cross. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. And if you are married people, listen to this. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Or in the Greek, stop being bitter uh, toward your wife. Bitterness destroys marriage. Bitterness destroys church life. Bitterness destroys family life. Bitterness destroys work life. Get rid of it. Married people, we be very diligent in this matter. Don't let the devil make you bitter toward your spouse. First Peter 3 verse 7. What happens when you are bitter toward your spouse and you are praying? You think God will heal that prayer? There is no blessing. It's going to come to you. It says here, 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let me tell you, any worship, any prayer, without peace and reconciliation, will not be heard by God. It's a wasted time. And not only that, your prayer will be a sinful act. So if you want God to hear your prayer, then get it of bitterness. Have peace, reconciliation. Be thankful that God has forgiven your infinite sin in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am under divine command. To forgive other people. Now let's come to Hebrews chapter 12. And let me read to you. 14, 15, 16 and 17. Make every effort. Spare no effort. In the Greek. Pursue. With all your energy. Without distraction. Pursue. With the one goal in mind. Pursue what? says pursue peace with all and holiness and without holiness no one will see the Lord see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many pursue peace with all and holiness 
what he means here is we all sin against God and against people. So if we are pursuing peace, then I, the offending party, must pursue peace by going to that party that I sinned against. And repent and confess and ask forgiveness in the name of Christ. So that peace may exist in the community, in the family. And if I am the offended party, even then I must go, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So that peace can be secured in the family, in the community. Pursue peace and what? Holiness. These are two sides of the same coin. Where there is peace, there will be holiness. Now why should we pursue peace and holiness? This is sanctification. This is experimental holiness. Because we are told without holiness, no one shall see God. Pursue peace. In Romans 12 verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. In other words, you do the utmost. You initiate, you do everything within your power to bring about peace. And if there is no peace, it is not your problem. You have done your job. In Ephesians 4, we are told, strive to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Strive. Pursue. Spare no effort. Because God is a God of peace. And God values relational life. Peace. God is the God of love. Love must prevail. The kingdom of God, it is called righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Without holiness, I said, no one shall see God. Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they and they alone shall see God. And I said some time ago, justification without sanctification is falsification of God's plan of salvation. And this is the gospel of today. That you don't have to pursue peace or holiness. You are saved and saved forever when you gave mental assent to certain facts concerning Jesus. In fact, people are so proud of declaring this gospel, which is false gospel. Sanctification is the evidence that God has justified you. Without holiness, no one shall see God. And they all will come there and, and the Lord would say, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So, look at verse 15 of Hebrews 12. See to it. That's a Greek word from which we have episkopos. Bishop comes from this word. Episcopuntos. Overseeing. Each one overseeing. Each one functioning as a bishop to your own life and to the life of everybody else. We have corporate mutual responsibility to maintain peace in the family and peace in the church. 
They simply cannot walk away when there is no peace. You are a bishop, and I am a bishop, and I must see to it that peace and holiness are in my life. And peace and holiness prevails in God's church. This is speaking about mutual responsibility. And so I must examine my own life. And to examine my own life, we are told I must remove the great beam from my eyes. That I may examine myself carefully so that I can help the other person who may have some speck in his life. And this should be the responsibility for every person. We shouldn't go around taking care of everybody else's problem. We must first examine ourselves, see to it that I am living in peace and in holiness and then help everybody else to enjoy peace and holiness. Each one has a duty to examine himself and after that examine others. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. This is written for church people. See to it that no one misses. Not that just you not miss the grace of God. No one in the family of God may miss the grace of God. What does this mean? Let's turn to chapter 3 of Hebrews and verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Oh, what disappointment is. That you came, but you came short of it. That you didn't enter it, you didn't experience it. You came close to it, but you didn't enter it. You didn't enjoy it. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. You and I must function as a bishop to see to it that no one misses the grace of God. People miss the grace of God because they will not submit to the gospel. They will not obey the gospel. And they will not make use of the means of grace. And so on. That they are totally happy with temporal things. So they miss the grace of God. Come short of salvation. And we are told in chapter 3 verse 12. It is due to an unbelieving heart. They always err in their heart. Examine and see. What else we must see? Here it is. It says that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, root. What is the problem with the root? It is invisible. Nobody sees it. It is deep in the heart. One becomes unbelieving. One becomes bitter. But sure enough, in due time, the fruit will come. Where there is root, there will be manifestation of it in terms of the fruit. And all of a sudden, what does he do? He causes trouble to the rest of the people. He's a thorn in the side of everybody. 
And then we are told that he defiles other people. He is full of dirt. And as you associate with him, what do you get? Dirt stains you. That's in the Greek. He stains you with his filth. And he always comes to your house or some situation. And he's always associating with you. What is he doing? Causing trouble and making you dirty. See to it that this thing will not happen. They defile many Bad company corrupts good people. And an example is given of Esau. But let me give you another example of Korah. And we read about him in chapter 16 of Numbers. He was a bitter man. You know why he was a bitter man? He was the second fiddle. He had the second best job in the tabernacle. But he was in the priest and he didn't like it. He was bitter toward Moses and toward Aaron. So he said, I'm going to become the priest. So he started a rebellion. He destroyed peace. You see, he was nursing his bitterness, the root of it. Now it became fruitful. And he becomes a troubler in Israel. A troublemaker. And the peace is destroyed. And he began to defile many people. He was the leader. A number of people joined him. Dathan, Abiram, on 250 others who would be priests, mostly probably Levites, and 14,700 others who sided with them. And he had a corrupt heart. You read Numbers chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. They said, you led us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. He interprets slavery in Egypt our salvation. You brought us out of this land of milk and honey to die in this desert. And you did not bring us into Canaan. Whose problem was it? It was their problem. You see, the root of bitterness corrupts your thinking. You, bec- you come into a depraved mind. You see good as evil and evil as good. Bitter. One person, Korah, one bitter root of poison affecting all these people. So the writer to the Hebrews tells us, watch out, see to it, that we personally do not miss the grace of God due to an unbelieving heart of bitterness. Let us take off the plank from our own eyes that we may examine ourselves carefully, then examine and see that no one else has a bitter spirit. Pursue peace and holiness. If a person refuses to be reconciled, I tell you, stay away from that person. He's a troublemaker and he will draw you into this filth, this sewer of bitterness. He's a corer, he's a troublemaker, he will defile you. 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Such a person is like poison ivy. What do you do with poison ivy? You just jump into it. You know, somebody said, this is poison ivy. And all the kids jumped into it. It's a warning. Don't go to that patch. Don't come near such a bitter person. It will poison you forever. God killed Korah. And a beer and by a new way, the earth opened it up and swallowed them. 
and 250 bitter people. God incinerated them. And 14,700 bitter people. God sent a severe plague. You read that chapter and kill them. Because they sympathized with the rebellious and the bitter. So what should we do with bitterness? Don't think this is a foreign subject. It is <laughs> we have nothing to do with it. You know, it's somebody else's problem always, of course. What should we do? I asked the question, what did St. Paul do with the viper that fastened itself on his hand? He shook the viper off into the fire. So we already read, get rid of all bitterness. Ancient and modern. Get rid of it. First Corinthians 3.19, we read, husband, love your wives and stop being bitter against them. A bitter person is one who misses the grace of God. There is no greater loss than missing the grace of God. One who causes trouble to the church of God. One who causes trouble to marriage. One who causes trouble to family. One who defiles the people of God. One who shall be severely dealt with by God. As he dealt with Korah and company. So those who are in any way bitter against spouses, children, fellow believers. Let us get on our knees. Let us repent. Let us ask forgiveness. Let us seek peace, sparing no effort. Let us be reconciled to one another. That our prayer may be heard by heaven. That God's blessing may come upon us. Then shall there be great unity, peace, and holiness. Then our light will break forth like the dawn. And our healing will quickly appear. Then our righteousness will go before us. And the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. We'll be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Then we will be called repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. Then shall our faith shine as pure gold. A faith that overcomes the world. Heavenly Father, help us to rid of bitterness in the light of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been part six of the sermon series entitled, Faith is a Victory. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.